all you filthy creatures, Ed Wilson here. I am here with my cat, Comet, who's probably going to nuzzle the microphone any second now to tell you about this uh, fortnight's episode. Uh, it's hot off the back of Bisexual Awareness Week, which just ended uh, on the 23rd, a couple of days ago. Um, so, it's sweet that we have a bisexual guest. Uh, he might be even more than that. You'll have to listen and find out. He's Hispanic. He's dating an older black partner and he considers himself disabled. He's also a mental health advocate and we get into that in detail. Um, you're going to hear about what it's like being automatically gay as a bisexual man, uh, being a daddy hunter, big time daddy hunter. Look forward to that. Are we all different or are we all the same? Uh, mental health stories and community stories as healing for humans. You know how visibility and openness could be a tool to help those suffering with poor mental health to improve their outcomes. Uh, we're also going to talk about Positive Vibes magazine versus toxic positivity, something I see on Instagram way too freaking much. And there is going to be a ton of free resources for um, sources to explore life and mental health, um, many of which I use to create my coaching business, Brown Bear Coaching. Um, yeah, I didn't come up with everything. I use the uh, wise wisdom of very intelligent scientists, psychologists, and uh, sages from the distant past. Um, and look out for the mention of McDonald's morphism. Um, someone, please make that a thing. Um, you can find our guest at Positive Vibes Mag and also at Zane Landon on Instagram. Uh, you can find me, Ed Wilson, at Gaberhood Podcast and at Brown Bear Coaching. Absolutely have a freaking great time and enjoy the hell out of this episode. I'll see you out there, Space Cowboys. Let's start with introductions. Zane, what are some things you would like listeners to know about you? I am a 24-year-old uh, Californian. I've been here my whole life. I just graduated from Cal Poly Mona with a Bachelor of Science in Communications and PR, which is where my passion for storytelling stems from. I identify as a mental health activist as well as a, someone really passionate about disability rights. I also identify as bisexual, Hispanic, and disabled. Having a learning disability, also as well as having a mental health condition from a very young age, those are some things that describe me and some things I do for fun. I love to juggle and I love listening to scary story podcasts. And that would be about me. Lovely. Thanks, Zane. How did we meet? I remember just being inspired by your account. I don't remember how I came across your content, but I love that you were supporting gay men, which is, I think, you know, growing up as a queer man, I did not have the best security in myself. Mm. And I think I see, you know, other queer men experiencing that as well. So I love that there is a support coming from you in that. Mm. And I just followed you. And then I learned that you were doing this podcast and I wanted to have a conversation with you about these topics I, you know, love talking about. Yep, absolutely. Thank you very much. You mentioned all these wonderfully diverse and interesting things about you that we're going to get stuck into today. And thank you for putting your hands up. You're a wonderful guest to have and I'm, I'm excited. Thank you, me too. So when, if ever, did you realize you were different? I always thought I was different, even today. Mm. Every single place I go, every group I'm a part of, I always feel like I'm I'm always outside looking at. Mm. If that's I'm the most loud, if I'm the most quiet, if I'm the queer one, if I'm the heaviest one, I always think that there's always something pushing me back from being in with someone mm. or a group. 
Mm-hmm. I try my best to be vulnerable and raise my hand and always contribute and be kind. Sometimes it's hard. Mm-hmm. Coming to, again, these different identities, like sometimes I'm the Hispanic one in the room. Then when I'm in a room full of Hispanic people, I'm the queer one. It's mm-hmm. just kind of frustrating sometimes. Yeah. But at this point in my life, I try to embrace it. And that it's definitely helped me find my worth. And that even though I'm different and sometimes I feel like, again, I'm looking in from the outside, mm. that I'm here for a reason. I have a perspective to share. And I, you know, I find that most people are willing to listen if you let them Absolutely. and you open up to them. Oh, Zane. Oh, man. I don't think I immediately don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. Slash, I want to say this. You have so many aspects of different, but you're not different. You're human. I'm human. Other people are human. It's all us. We're all different, but it's all us. So, man, you don't need to speak kindly and let people kind of acclimatize to you. I know that that is literally a thing that will happen, but you are us. I am the same as you. You are the same as me. We are different, but man, you're not different, but you are, but you're not, but you are. I love that you say that because I think we forget we're human. I think that we know we're human, but I think that we forget that that we have this component that connects us all the time. And I think that we look at our differences and we, those differences dictate our existence and who we are and who we see and how we perceive things. Well, that's true. And we all have our own truths. We still, at the end of the day, share this commonality. And it's sad that we sometimes lose that humanity when we when those differences overcome our minds. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. We focus on our differences, but we have so much more in common. Um, people talk about a fractured US political landscape, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of us queers do get up in arms about all the issues and all the politics because a lot of them directly affect us and our closest friends and allies. But sometimes I just need to remind people, everyone on every side of every political discourse wants safety, cohesion, productivity, love and connection. Um, Do you know what I mean? That everyone wants children to be safe. Everyone wants the best for women, the best for men. But obviously their approach is different, but it's well worth remembering. We're actually fighting for the same things on the most basic level. But then, of course, we immediately uh, disagree and get up in arms. And some people are absolutely crazy. Yes, 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 that is all true. There's so much more in common between all of us and everything that is going on. Don't let the news and don't let the idea that difference is such a big deal and important, you know, as you said, make you forget that you're human. It's all us. There's no us and them. It's all us. And then we fracture into tribes and argue. I agree. Was there like a very early, early age or is this just always been a thing since you can remember? You're like, oh, something about me is different. Always, everywhere. It's always, it's always been a thing. Okay. <laughs> I think uh, part of my mental health condition, I had a hard time socializing with other kids and that was pretty difficult. And even when I was going through like elementary school, I had a, you know, a counselor I would see and I would receive less homework because, you know, a lot of the work was hard for me. I had attention issues. So there's always a lot going on with my mind right. and my body and everything. And that was really hard. And it was definitely taxing. And the whole idea of feeling different kind of always was there. Yeah. And I think that's it's kind of manifested in who I am today. But I try not to let that hinder me. I always try to take advantage of every opportunity, meet as many people as I can. Mm. 
Okay, fair enough. Do you um, want to put words to any like diagnoses or definitions of your learning dis- difficulties or, or do you prefer not to? Yeah, I prefer not to just to yeah. not talk about the diagnoses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, when did you understand that you were bisexual? So the thing that's really interesting about being bisexual is for me, I did not identify as bisexual until a while because I didn't think it existed or knew it existed. Yeah. Immediately I thought I was gay, mm. which makes sense because while I was attracted to women, the idea of just being attracted to a man automatically I felt gay. Right. Mm. Yeah. Especially since there were, I was, I was in environments where I heard that bisexual bisexuality wasn't real you can't choose you have to be one or the other straight or gay it was a very black and white approach to you know sexuality which we know now it's a it's a very wide and intersectional spectrum yep and so you know growing up hearing you know certain things about bisexuality especially when this would be later though when i realized i was bisexual hearing the same rhetoric come from people within the lgbtq community is even more harmful because i have this assumption that they would understand that being bisexual is not necessarily a choice. Yeah. Especially since also people have come to me and said, if you have the choice to be with men or women, why not just choose women? It's not simple. It's not simple where you can just choose who you want to be with. You just, you're attracted to who you are. Yeah. And I don't want to deny that because I'm trying to play into it, you know, kind of a heteronormative tradition of, you know, a man and a woman just, I don't know, to fulfill someone's expectations, right? Yeah. And so, like, going back, it's like, at the beginning, I thought I was gay, and then I was, I kind of realized that I wasn't, just because I was reading about bisexuality, and I definitely resonated with it when I first heard about it, because it just felt so much what I was experiencing, I just didn't know how to put it into words. You know, like, it's hard to describe this stuff, you don't have the vocabulary to describe it. But when I learned about these terms, um, like bisexuality and pansexuality, all this stuff, I immediately felt a little awakened because I really felt like I wasn't alone at that point. Mm. It's like, especially with all that I've heard and, you know, I always just felt stuck. And so it actually felt liberating to learn that there is millions of people who share the same identity as I do. Mm. Absolutely. Can I ask you, are you very, very happy with the binary term bisexual? So you like men and women or are you like bi plus? So you're open to people who are not necessarily directly binary male or female or pan. Where, how do you feel about bi, bi plus and pan and, and yourself? I find it interesting. I mean, bisexuality is just a term I've always identified with. It was the first time I've ever heard it. And I know that there, there's a nuance there with bisexuality, bi plus, omnisexual, pansexual. They're all you know, they're all very different. Mm. And, you know, people would probably say I'm pansexual, but I really identify as bisexual. I just, I just, my opinion, I just don't let gender hinder a relationship. To me, if I feel a deep connection with someone, I want to explore that despite their gender. Gender just never was something I would consider. It's just not, I hope that makes sense. That's the interesting thing about being bi or pansexual. We're not really limited to gender. Right, but that sounds like pan to me, to, yeah. to my mm-hmm. understanding, and help me if you think I'm um, not on point here, but bisexual is like, I like men and women, and pan is more like gender isn't the biggest factor, or it's like, I like people who are queer or non-binary or fluid or trans, etc. as well. I feel an authentic connection and wanting of those people as well. Yeah, I know, it would... 
really identify more as pansexual. And it is what's interesting about these identities is they are changing. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. I'll identify as bisexual, sometimes I'll identify as pansexual. Mm. And sometimes I'll have a, a fluid where like 80% of my attraction is into men and then maybe 20% is into women. And sometimes it's vice versa. So it's always really interesting. Yes. But yeah, I would see myself more as pansexual. But to me, this is my personal perspective that the people I have met that identified as strictly bisexual, I've never seen them being anti gay a trans person, though, or someone that's non-binary or someone that doesn't fall within the binary of gender. Right. So it's always right. interesting. Yeah, I've never seen anyone exclusive like that. But I mean, there, there, there probably are. But I just, my personal experience, I've never encountered anyone like that. Oh, that's cool. That suggests that maybe in several years we'll come across the idea that we said bisexual for the longest time because essentially we were doing trans erasure and, and queer and non-binary erasure. We didn't consider that they existed. So therefore, if you liked men and women, you, there, there's only ever been two, right? So you must be bisexual. But that, that may not be what is happening for a lot of people. It may be that gender is not a huge factor for them, and mm -hmm. but they got labeled bisexual, but that actually wasn't accurate. And perhaps that is most people. Mm-hmm. It, who who currently or previously labeled themselves as bi. But, you know, we're only two yeah. people, so we can only speak for us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. awesome. That's very cool. So, you've answered a lot of my questions, so I'm going to skip forward a little bit more. Um, mum, 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 mum. First crush. How did that go? Oh, wow. <laughs> I will say, you know, I've had my first crush in middle school, and it wasn't even someone I was really friends with, so... It didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> was it a guy, a guy or a girl, or a non-binary? Yeah, person? it was a, it was a guy. Um, it was a guy, and I didn't know them too well. I think we were like just friendly. Didn't, and they, I never knew, but I don't think they identified as gay or anything like that. Was he gorgeous? Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just liked him. What did you like about him? What was the, what was that magnetic feeling that let you knew that you were having a crush? Like, what was it? I liked. His like charisma, I like how he held himself. I liked his intelligence. Mm. I just kind of liked his aura. So okay, but he was ugly. yeah. But I mean, at the time, I thought he was attractive. But <laughs> look at him now, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> All right, cool. How about your first sexual awakening? And could you describe on what you mean by that? Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to keep this question. It it does feel a bit weird, but was there a time at which you realized that you were a sexual being and you're and and like I guess this question exists because usually I, I interview a lot of gay men who are just very comfortable with that label. And the idea is that at some point they realize that like man was extremely attractive and therefore that's a profound moment for them. But if you're pan, I can see that being a very different, like your feelings and your story about the question is just going to feel very different, <laughs> mm -hmm. which I guess already validates the question. But was there a time at which, I mean, I don't, I actually don't really care at what age or whatever you realized you had a PP and it got hard for whatever you were looking mm -hmm. at. But mm -hmm. so maybe, maybe I've answered my own question, but the, just the fact that you're you and we've already talked about uh, non cis gay male sexualities and gender attraction, mm -hmm. we've already explored it. Anything else to say? <laughs> well, I will say, I'll be honest though. Like, yeah. Growing up, I know you have a question about shame, but this is pretty interesting because I don't know where it stemmed from at all because I never heard messages about it, but I had always this deep fear of being sexual. I don't know what Oy. it was, but I, I'm sure you heard the term like being sexually 
repressed. I don't know yeah. why. And some people have like clear reasons why, but for me, I don't know why. Huh. So every time I thought about engaging in sexual acts, I always was kind of like washed with shame. I was always like, I don't want to do this. Mm. I don't know why. I just, I don't feel right doing it. Hmm. And, you know, it took me some time later <laughs> to determine that those were just some internal fears that was preventing me from doing that for some reason. But again, I was never around people that said that those were harmful things. Doing that's horrible for you. It's a, it's sin. I've never heard stuff like that. And so mm. it was just, for some reason, I just had it embedded in me. But, you know, once I started doing that, and then I, I know we have a question about my partner, but when I first got with my partner, I'd never done anything. I never kissed anyone. So that was when I was 20. <laughs> oh, wow. And so, you know, he taught me everything about how to be, you know, someone who can show affection, how you do that. And you can yeah. do that through, you know, touching or, you know, just sharing your emotions. And so he taught me all that. And then, you know, I, I realized that to me, engaging in sex with someone is so much more than the feeling. This is <laughs> my opinion again. Mm. But like, I really think, and I described it to him. I was like, I love the feeling of just you're at this like incredibly vulnerable stage with someone, mm. you know, you're, you're like, you both may not have clothes on whenever you do it mm. and you engage in this and you, you're sharing something beautiful with someone that you're being incredibly vulnerable with. Mm. You're most vulnerable in a way. Mm. And I really love that. It's like, you're creating something magical. That's how I see it. And it's like, I think it's beautiful. Mm. Oh, that's really, really cute. <laughs> It's lovely. Don't let the word cute uh, make make it smaller than it is. I use cute actually a lot in a very kind of expansive, loving way. It's not just my little pony is cute. It's like cuteness <laughs> is vulnerability in a sense to me. Like if you're willing to admit that you being naked and shy is cute, I think people know what I mean. So anyway, I just needed to qualify that I'm not, <laughs> not making your your story smaller. I'm actually <laughs> trying to appreciate it, but I've used my words my way. Oh, <laughs> nice. Thank you very much for sharing that. So queer stuff these days, bi stuff, gay stuff, you know, you're a man. You identify as a cisgender man, yeah, male? Yes. Yeah. What What is out there today for your cisgendered male um, queer person that you really, really like? There, is there anything out there like content, movies, events, books that you want to share with the audience? I don't have a specific thing to say about like a specific piece of content, but I love that just people are more open about it now. Mm, you know all the content even just like whenever yeah even when yeah even when just i was just and just culturally even when i was a was a kid like this whole like being gay was such a taboo yeah and there are even people that are very prominently anti-gay marriage and that was just a hugely culturally accepted thing and so hearing that i personally never thought you know gay people would ever get married when i would hear stuff like that and but i love that it's just shifted so much and like i see you know movies and tv shows and podcasts all about the queer experience more so than before because it's more acceptable and you know you have to give you have to give the credit where it's due where queer people have had the fight for these rights and i love that they've done that and i love seeing more of their stories on television and on the news especially since like i said at the beginning i'm passionate about storytelling and the one thing that is the most important thing in my opinion about ac activism is storytelling mm. and just showing people that being gay or being bisexual is not 
anything different from anyone else, especially if you're not seeing stories and you live in a place where you're maybe kind of secluded from queer people, you're going to, those stereotypes that you already know exist and they're going to just keep on growing and perpetuating the more you don't know. Mm. But if you see a, a queer person on TV and you're like, wow, they're like no different from me. Mm. You're just attracted to someone totally different. And of course, everyone's going to have a different reaction to what they see on TV. But I think that more people are going to have this kind of reaction where, wow, they're not what I thought. They're actually just normal people who love a different gender, different than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get there. It's um, There's a lot of uh, mainstream content that is now casting and being written way more diversely, which is fucking awesome. Like, if only it could have mm-hmm. already happened 100 years ago. I, I want to live in that place. But mm-hmm. – it is, it is up to us, you know. We're the adults now. We've had our childhoods. We've we've learnt and grown and we're two big, strong men that can stand up. I'm creating this podcast. You're doing your thing with your magazine, which we'll get to. Like, I just – I stand behind what you said, like, so much. But now it's our turn. Now we need to contribute. Now we need to be visible. Now we need to spread what we love. We need to be seen and heard in an equal, fair, egalitarian, human way. And yeah. let's just keep marching forward. No, I agree. And what I think about is just being loud and proud, being your, you know, unapologetic self. If you can, and you know, just if you can, that's what. Yeah, there are definitely people that can. I, I'm also going to say, you know, if you can't, recognize that, and the people that can, try to be a voice for them, mm. and kind of use your position to amplify their their story as well, because there are plenty of people in this country and in the world that cannot do that. Correct. That they need to conceal their queer identity to literally just survive, survive. and live. Yep. I've been in, I've been in, and it's sad that some people don't recognize that. I've been in so many conversations where people kind of just throw the toxic acceptance, which I don't like. It's like this idea that just accept yourself. I'm like, that's not, <laughs> like, I don't like the, like, throwing out, throwing just the idea of just accept yourself. I love the idea of it, but we have to understand that it's very hard to hear those words for people who literally cannot do that. And I understand, like, people trying to say that. Like, I remember hearing, someone say like we shouldn't like you know clothes don't matter you can if you're a guy you can wear boys and girls clothes like who cares and like i get what you're saying but again you have to understand that there are many people that cannot do that i think it's hard for them to hear that because they know that but they're forced to have to live a certain lifestyle because of the people around them you know what i mean and that affects me and you even though it doesn't affect us directly we know Mm -hmm. these are our people these are other different people just the same and different like us so when the, you know, when the straight white 50-year-old dad at, at my corporate office previously is like, but Ed, do we really need Pride Marches? Like, is, isn't it all pretty good these days? Like, maybe if we, if we just stop, you know, it, it would be even more normal because we, what do we need a Pride March for? I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, my life obviously isn't that hard. Gay, white, um, cisgendered guy in Australia. But- People just like me are being like hung and killed and hunted down mm-hmm. in other countries. That has an effect on me. And not only that, there's stuff in Australia and like the, the subversive undercurrent of homophobia and stereotypes and all of that has had a lifelong profound effect on all of us. Everything's good and it's getting better and we don't need to have a pity party and a cry all the time. But all of this stuff is still incredibly powerful, big, real, and important and happening today. And there's probably a thousand years work ahead of us, if it will ever end, because we're always going to be a minority. Um, and, you know, societies yeah. have risen and fallen already that were much more tolerant than ours and much less tolerant than ours. And who's to say that it isn't going to happen all over again anyway? So, 
yeah, fuck, maybe it's never ending, but maybe that's all right. No, I think it will, it'll be never ending. Um, especially since like you said that queer people always be a minority just in general, cause there's yeah. less queer people. Yeah. So we get scapegoated easily. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, you know, queer, queer people should be treated just the same. Of course, as everyone else doesn't matter what the percentage of those people exist. If, you know, trans people are a very low percentage. They still have the right to exist and be, be validated in their existence. You know, <sighs> when people say like, we may not need a Pride Month. I understand where people get that idea. Like, oh, if we stop talking about it, it would just go away. No, it won't. Yeah, no, that guy's sorely misled. <laughs> sorely misled. No, his ideas will not work. No. And then, and then, like, I also think that, you know, people mistakenly think of, like, places where it's not good to be queer as, like, you know, certain areas or certain countries. Well, we forget. I'm from California. Yes, I've experienced levels of homophobia. It's everywhere, even in oh, what people would say is the most liberal state in the United States, you know, very liberal place. And it may be better than most states, probably, but you still encounter homophobia all the time. I still encounter looks and judgment all the time when I'm with my partner. Mm. And I know we'll get into it because he's older and some people have a hard time seeing that. Mm. Yeah, we, we are getting right into that. So, yeah, keep going. Tell us about your you have an oh, older sure. partner. He's also black. You're Hispanic. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that intersectionality and how it shows up for you. And I know you're passionate about this stuff. So just uh, take us there and we'll, we'll go there together. Yeah. So, okay. Another thing that was really hard about growing up and kind of realizing I was bisexual was I had this like deep attraction for older men. I don't know why. I don't know where it came from. Mm -hmm. I just... I've always wanted to be with an older person. I always You're old sexual. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always wanted to uh I always wanted to be with someone that felt mature, mm. emotionally mature. It's like I it's like I probably needed some sort of like a healthy masculine like role model because I don't think I really had that. Wait, 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 so wait, wait, wait. Yes, I hear you, hear all of this, love all of this. Can I ask, do you feel this yeah. deeply like energetic wanting to be held and protected and secure and and you love that yes yeah is it also sexy like really sexually charged like when you are being loved and cared for your dick gets really hard and you're like this is making me really fucking horny uh no i don't actually i went no i wouldn't say that but i i would say i would say i love this idea of being safe and yeah. having the feeling of being safe and yeah. i don't know i just Okay. I was always a, I was always attracted to that with yeah, someone yeah, yeah. looking out for me. So, <laughs> it, oh, dude, you you know, I don't need to tell you this, right? Just just how common and 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 that is, right? Yeah, I think it's common because I can imagine like why having a partner, you know, is to feel safe and feel validated and feel you know good around each other. But I always thought it was interesting for me because I was always looking for someone that was older. Like even if I felt mm. safe in a relationship with someone my age, I don't think I'd feel as uncomfortable mm. if they weren't older. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm. I don't feel the same, but I do know what you mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. I remember as well being like 23, considering myself in my prime and looking back, frankly, if you were to write it all down on a sheet of paper, I kind of was in my prime. I was really fit. I was at the gym all the time. I was really smiley. I was wearing cool clothes. And then there would be these other fit young 20 somethings at the gay bar. And they're like, sorry, man, I like older guys. I was like, fuck, that happened to me so many times. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was definitely what... I was like looking for, mm. and I didn't really know where to go with that. <laughs> okay, but you did eventually, clearly, because you found your partner. 
Yeah, so I found them on, I found a site called Daddy Hunt. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Have I ever heard of Daddy Hunt? How do you ever forget a website called Daddy Hunt? You hear the name and you're like, oh, of course that exists. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, so you were on Daddy Hunt. Uh Uh-huh. When I first heard about it, when I first heard about it, I was like, oh my gosh, this site exists? Like, oh wow, I didn't know that there was such a yeah attraction for so many people. So yeah. I was excited to see that. Yep. Fortunately, the one thing I didn't like about it, which is a, a lot of what falls into these dating apps, is it, was very, it had a very large hookup culture. That's kind of like what I was seeing. And I was clear that I didn't want that. So I don't think I was getting a lot of interest. But I found someone that, you know, again, my partner, and he just kind of reached out and was like, you know, we just... We reached, he reached out and we were just having like a basic conversation. It wasn't really going anywhere. Mm. And I also found another site because I was looking for other sites called Bigger City, which is all about, you know, bigger, bigger big guys. Big boys. Where, all right. Yeah. Cause, you know, is it big boys or big everybody? Huh? Is it big boys or big everybody? Um, I don't really, I don't really see women on there. So yeah, it's big boys. Yeah. And I am bigger and also I'm attracted to bigger. So yeah. again, it was like, Another thing, I was like, I'm not seeing this on regular dating apps. A lot of the guys I'm seeing like fit and like skinny, and so I was looking for something else. So I was glad to see like another niche, um, you know, mm. attraction mm. pull. And mm. I was looking for different things, and he was on there again, and he Yay. reached out to me again. Double double. And so, yeah, he he and I just kept talking again. Not much, a little spark, just a little, but it wasn't too much. And then uh-huh. I just said, "Can we just meet?" And I was like, "Uh, sure." <laughs> Mm. And I, I wasn't sure just because, again, he was a lot older and I was nervous. I've never gone on a date, so I didn't know what to expect. Mm. Never been kissed, right? You were, uh, yeah. Oh, not at all. Yeah, so I hadn't done, like, anything. And him and I, uh-huh. we were supposed to meet. I got, like, heavily sick. And he thinks it's because I was <laughs> I was dissing him. But, no, I really got sick. And it wasn't because of the nerves. I just got sick. And so we rescheduled and we met at a restaurant. It was, we had a good conversation. It was pretty interesting. I was, uh kind of able to share things I usually don't share immediately. So nice. There was, the, there was already like a, an immediate comfort. Yeah. An immediate comfort where I was already talking to him about things like suicide. And mm. like, I know that's a lot for someone like for some, for, for some people, that's a little much yeah. for first date, but yeah. I felt comfortable enough to bring it up. Yeah. And he was comfortable enough. He was comfortable enough to answer res- respectfully and, yeah, yeah. you know, give me, give me some guidance. So, and then after that, we got guidance or like he was able to hold space for you to just be you to go and share the things that were important to you at the time and they were sensitive for personal topics but he made he he was able to hold a space that made that okay for you and you really enjoyed it so you had a proper connective deep and meaningful you know interpersonal experience i would describe it as that and and also he did just give me guidance too but it was it was mostly that where you know, holding their space for someone to just be themselves. Yeah. Even in in light of like, you know, some very sensitive issues, which but I have to be honest, you have to be careful with that. Um, because it's it's appropriate to hold space, but sometimes when you you do that, you have to make sure you're taking care of yourself if you're gonna open up space for someone. Cause sometimes people forget about that. And if you hear about stuff like that, it can be very triggering to you. Mm. So that that's been like my experience with holding space for people, mm. and I still I love doing that. I love giving people the platform. But sometimes when I hear stuff, I'm like, oh, I feel a lot with this, and I feel triggered by this. And so you know, mm. afterward, I just have to ref- reflect on what I hear. After that dinner date, we kind of just I, he even thought like it was kind of over, <laughs> just because right. we had a 
we had this conversation, but it, it was a little awkward, um, like most first dates are. And so we ended up just going in his car and just hanging out. Um, but we ended up having like an eight hour conversation. Hey, cool. <laughs> and we were able to do that for like two or three weeks mm, like in a row, day. Like multiple meetups. What every day? Like almost every day. Like I think we like maybe every other day, but yeah, almost every day we would meet and we would do some activity or like go out to dinner and then we would hang out in his car and we would just talk for Aww. eight or nine hours. That's adorable. Yeah, we'd go home like at four in the morning. It was it was just so seamless. It just normal wow. conversation. But I've never been able to talk to someone that long before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Without yeah. it getting boring or dry. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was like enlightening in a way. That's beautiful. No, that's really nice. You had a really, really strong human connection and you were loving it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done it, right? Yeah. And like I said, everything was so new and um, I, I was... You had a lot of catching up to do, a lot of exploring and uh, sharing and learning. Yeah, yeah. Nice. It's very interesting how, like, how, how things change when, <laughs> when you start exploring this. Like, you know, like your sexual identity changes a lot, a lot more so than I thought. Because I think that, like I said, I was sexually repressed. So for the longest time, I thought I was asexual. <laughs> yeah. And then when we started, um, you know, actually being sexually active, I was like, oh, I don't identify this way at all. <laughs> mm. um, so it's really interesting how things can quickly change from your experience. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard to figure out, especially if you have not had experience. It's, it's, it's easy to kind of, um, lump yourself in some of these identities, but you have to be very open to what is possible. If you've never had that experience, yeah. Like I said, I identify as bisexual and I, or pansexual, and I have like this attraction to women. But like actually being with a woman, maybe I wouldn't really find it attractive. It's just that the thought of it is attractive. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Know? I mean, can I like, do you jerk off to it? Yeah. Yeah. But um, then it's there. But you don't have to do it in real life. It's just part of your sexual energy and your experience and your fantasies and your exploration. Yeah, interesting. It is really interesting. It's, it's just all the stuff where, especially like the the romantic identities, aromantic, all that stuff. It's like kind of goes in line with that too. <laughs> mm, gotcha. And maybe you feel different amounts of um, emotional attraction, like raw physical sexual attraction, depending on their gender as well and how you're feeling at that time of year. And um, some people are very mm. fluid and flexible and some people are not. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we... And there's not really a term for it, you know, like we have the term the gender fluid, but like sexual fluid <laughs> is a is a real thing. Why don't we do, why don't we just try and frame it now? I think everybody's aware that there are labels, but that they're not they're not perfect. They're just our best attempt to group people. But I think it's fair to say, if you agree, me and you believe that everyone's different in all kinds of ways to differing degrees. And that is actually what makes us all the same. But we're all different and we are all the same. So no matter what is going on with your sexuality, your gender expression, your gender identity, whatever labels you choose or drop or whatever, you're human. You're the same. You're us. But you can pick and choose labels and use them when and where appropriate and useful, but otherwise throw them out the window. But there was never a problem in the first place. You're normal. We're here together. We're on this little blue and green rock called Earth going around a gigantic flaming ball of plasma or whatever, and we're going to die soon. So, like, really? Was it really that big a deal? Yes, it was. But also, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I hope that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So bring back your partner and the race stuff and the age stuff whenever you like. We're now jamming on bisexuality a bit and bisexuality plus, I think it's fair to say. Mm -hmm. Recently in that episode, I realized I would love to interview a bisexual person and talk about this stuff. And I want to go to some of the, the main topics that I think we, you know, we, we did pre-prepare the show. We talked and we said we want to hit these because we think it's important that this discussion happens. And, and some people out there, they're the right people to hear this kind of thing. Sound good? Sounds great. Yeah. All right. So the first thing we agreed was the idea that like you can't. You can't be with a bisexual long t- person long term or marry them or because trust, because trust. There's too many sexual, emotional, romantic interests for a bi plus person. They're more dangerous to be with. Like, how do you feel about that? Um, badly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's start yeah, with badly. badly. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, keep keep going. Terms, yeah, pretty pretty bad. Just because I think that, like, I don't know if if. If you're in a relationship and like you're really worried that someone's bisexual and that they're going to cheat on you, I think that's something that you need to work on. That's not something that they need to cater around. Yeah. I think that there's some serious trust issues there, especially if you're really not going to date a a bi person just because you're worried they're going to cheat on you because there's more potential talent talent is not the best word i agree i i think it says a lot more about the person that is worried and whatever they're dealing with about themselves inside themselves than it does about the bisexual person because here's here's a here's a true fact right i'm free and able to go out and um fall in love with or have sex with whoever i happen to fall in love with and have sex with just because it's gay men in a small subsection of the population doesn't make me any less able and i think in general it really doesn't change the probability either not really so in that sense there's no difference between my ability to cheat on someone or to fall out of love with someone or in love with someone else that i'm in a relationship and i'm just a gay male right which makes me no different to the bi person so when this comes up as an issue by bi plus people i think quite rightly are going don't fucking treat me differently i don't actually behave differently just because i have a wider spectrum of feelings that doesn't change the game Mm-hmm. And and if I want sex outside of a relationship, it's not because they have a vagina or a penis. It's mm-hmm. because I want to have sex outside of a relationship. So I say, you know, is it fair to say as a bi person, if you want sex outside of a relationship, it's not necessarily because they have a vagina or a penis. Or even if it is, the more important thing is to talk about it openly and clearly with your partner. Because if monogamy works for both of you, great. And if it doesn't work for one or both of you, great. But you need to talk about it. And it doesn't matter if it's because penis vagina. And in some cases, I'm sure that it is. Some people are like, yeah, I really miss penis or I really miss vagina. It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change the fact that I could say I really miss more penises or bigger penises or darker penises or lighter penises or whatever, right? That, so it doesn't actually change. But this assumption that it does, that's where the biphobia lives, yeah? Because that's that's treating people differently in an unfair way. Yeah, and you know what? <laughs> and here's the thing, like, I don't know. I'm torn on this because, like, if you are really experiencing this insecurity where you can date a bi person, then just don't. Um, (laughs) that's protecting you and every other bi person out there yeah if you're not secure don't date me thanks yeah I mean like I'm not gonna say you're a biphobic person but I think that there's definitely some biphobia like there and like there's definitely maybe some internal biphobia going on that you you know you think about by by people but again if you really don't want to be with 
a bi person, I don't think it's fair that you should feel pressured to. And again, I think you have stuff you need to work on because it's interesting. I think that if you have like these trust issues with a bi person, I, I don't, I don't doubt that there's going to be some, you know, yeah. some fears with just any relationship. It exactly. sounds like there's a lot more going on than just the bi label. Exactly. <laughs> What's so funny is like the, just hearing that I've never even come across that. I think it's really interesting that again, monogamy, poly, being like polyamorous or dating multiple people, that is not bisexual. They're different. Like you, you can, gosh, like, you know, like just because you're bisexual doesn't even mean you're more likely going to be in an open relationship. There are plenty of gay men that I know that are, that are in open relationships, but I like what you said that you have to communicate this with your partner. Yeah. And I think it's good, you know, having it beforehand, like before you get married and stuff, <laughs> but I understand like some attractions come out, but that's something I, I've always said that, you know, like some people were totally against like dating multiple people or having multiple sexual partners. And I'm like, I'm not going to judge what people do as long as they know what they're getting themselves into and all their partners are on board and no one's getting hurt. Yeah. I'm sure it's hard though, especially when there's, there might be some jealousy and people getting hurt. But, you know, I've never thought, I mean, especially when you see like how many people get divorced in the U.S. I'm always like, I wonder if that would go away if, you know, because I think there's so much pressure. Like, I think monogamy can be a lot of pressure because you have to like support the needs of your partner of every single thing. And sometimes that's not enough. And I wonder if, if people actually had multiple partners, maybe there wouldn't be so many <laughs> relationships breaking apart or divorces because there's different people for different needs that you have. I don't know. That's just something I thought. Now, that's not definitive. That's something I'm thinking about. I wonder if that would actually help people more is just having this weighted pressure of the one person that needs to support you, or if it could be multiple and you find affection in other places. I wonder if that would actually help a lot more people. Bisexuality has nothing to do with being promiscuous or your likelihood of, of cheating. And I think, again, putting those assumptions on people because of their label is biphobia and you're assuming they're different, especially yeah. when you're assuming they're different in a bad way. Like you're more yeah. likely to cheat because you're, because you're you, it's it's about the individual, right? You you got to you've got to listen to the individual, hear what's true about them to the best of their knowledge, and then make your decisions about whether or not they're right for you. You can't just say bi people are not right for me. That's unfair. Like, and just yeah. you're probably actually going to miss out on some potentially fucking lovely bi people. So it might even yeah. hurt you, right? Fair? No, definitely fair. In what you were saying. There's there's a there's a tiny hint of divorces are bad and breaking up is bad. And I get that, but I just want to throw out the idea as well that what if there is a right time for relationships to end? What if they're great for as long as they're great for? And when either one of you or both of you know or agree that it's no longer great, cool, let's break up. Great, fantastic. We got the whole relationship, everything happened, and when it stopped being good, we stopped. That's awesome. I think that we should – I've already put it out there, but, like, yeah, I'm glad that I did because I want to because it's important, I think. No. Fair? Yeah, no, that that is fair. And, then like – Yeah, divorce isn't a problem. Shit relationships are a problem. Yeah, and I think that there's so much pressure to stay together. Yeah, it's cultural. We can just make it work. <laughs> um, you know, but what I find interesting is something that I think about because I don't – I don't see anything wrong with people breaking up, of course, especially if it's not not a good relationship or if it's becoming toxic or unhealthy. But I think that um, sometimes I think that sometimes there's a partner for a reason for you and a certain time for you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's why definitely. I'm very open to what the future looks like, because like for some, they want to be together forever. But 
I don't know if there's anything wrong with being together for five or six years or two years or one year. Maybe you needed that. Maybe this is the per- person you needed yeah. and you've grown yep. and you've both changed yep. and now you both need someone else. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with parting ways. Exactly. And if that's true, why the hell would you stay together? Like, why? What's the good reason other than, oh, people who break up are failures, like, which is just bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I talk about like divorce rates, it's like it's sad to see people fight so hard to stay in a relationship um, instead of just parting ways. And I've seen you, you've seen like relationships where they both realize it's time, but I think with so much pressure to stay married and also like, there's also like just that the like impending feeling that divorce is a sin. And like, that's so, you know, widespread in our culture that, you know, you're, you're doing something completely wrong immorally for divorcing someone. Yeah. Or that being single at any given age proves that you're a loser and lonely and unsuccessful. That's also stigma and it's also bullshit. Like it's like, (laughs) it's like jobs. We get them, we lose them, we change them happens all the time. Why the fuck would you judge someone for that? It's interesting. Like what you said, like, you know, someone who, you know, is in their thirties or forties and they're not with someone. It's like, Oh, like we may label them as a loser. Or that's how people see them. I'm like, Hey, they could have a successful career. They may be rich. They may be doing well. They may be, you know, doing a lot of great things. They may be helping their communities. They may be doing a, amazing things, you know, and, and they, they view themselves as successful and they are in that right. You know, that's more important than being with someone. And if that's not part of their goals, then we don't need to make it part of their goals. We don't need to tell them they need to be with someone. If that's not part of their plan, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Yep. It, I guess that again encapsulates this idea that step one is people need to be honest with themselves and know their own truth so that we can all achieve step two, which is we can ask people for their truth and their honesty so that we can assess whether or not they're a match for us. We want to be on their soccer team. We want to go plant plants with them or we want to get married to them and have babies or have sex with them in whatever sexy way you want to have sex with them. People need to be honest about their own truth and find their own self-acceptance so that we can have very healthy, open, honest conversations when appropriate about who and how we are to see if we're a good match for each other. And then relationships should always remain that way. If there's ever a time that you need to withhold information from your partner, something's not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that would be a great time at which you'd say, well, maybe we should explore why I'm hiding things from my partner. What is going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I completely agree. Yeah. So mental health is one of your major, major passions. You have a lived experience, as I would say, 99.9 slash 100% of all mental health practitioners and people and, and just human beings have had. Please tell me about your passion about mental health and just frame it for, for everyone listening. Absolutely. I love talking about mental health. I identify the game I said as the mental health advocate. And, you know, disclaimer, I'll say I'm not an expert, I'm not a mental health expert. I'm just an advocate. And, you know, the thing with mental health is it's such a, huge community that you know one size definitely does not fit all there's so many different approaches you can take for mental health and this is just what has worked for me in my experience so with that you know i'll just say you know when i was a child you know i was always depressed i was always really angry and you know uh, unbeknownst to me at the time i definitely was experiencing mental health conditions and luckily enough this is why it's important to have families that know about mental health and can advocate for their children because my my family knew about mental health and like you know how severe it can be and how important it is to see a psychologist there's so much stigma with that but you know luckily enough i was able to see a psychologist at a young age and 
I was seeing them off and on until I saw them consistently when I was in middle school till I graduated high school. So that was like six or seven years. So I saw them for a really long time. And I always think that people even who may don't have mental health conditions, it doesn't matter. I think everyone should try and see a psychologist once just to have someone who's there not to judge you. Cause like you can share anything with your friends or your family, but you're always worried that they're going to judge you with a psychologist. It's like a third party member and they're there to listen to you and provide some sort of insight to what you're experiencing or what you can be doing. I think that's just really important. So it helped me. I didn't really become serious about mental health until I was in university because I didn't really talk about this with my partner. But since the age gap was so big, my family was pretty against it. They didn't really want us to be together because I can see why. Um, especially since they thought he was taking advantage of me. And when you when you see an age gap that big, you know, you think that and it's fine to think that, um, you know, because that could be happening. You know, I'm fortunate that it wasn't because I could have been in a situation where it was. Um, but I was in a, I, you know, I was in a strong relationship. I'm still with him today. But, you know, I wasn't doing well because, like, I feel like everyone was against me. I feel like I didn't have anything under control. I didn't know who I was. Again, like when you say when you're in your first relationship, you really don't know what's going on. And a lot of stuff can change. And, you know, my self-esteem, even though I was getting some good comfort from my partner, it wasn't the best because of all the different things that was going on. I wasn't doing particularly well in school. I was actually starting to engage in self-harm. I won't say what. And, you know, I talked a lot about suicide, a lot. And so after that, after everything that was going on, I I had a plan and, you know, I took the semester off that year. And this is a lot because like actually at the time, my partner and I were together for like four months when this kind of first started. So I, I'm grateful that he was there for all that because that's a lot for someone to have on their shoulders when they're going through that. And so, you know, I got better and I really had to assess everything and I kind of went back to what I learned in counseling and psychology and I started seeing another psychologist at the university campus this time around and it helped a lot and that was at that point I was like I've never I've never had a serious mental health issue like this it was never this drastic where I wanted to end my life I've definitely had thoughts but like not to that extent and actually engaging in self-harm was a lot so I decided to take action on taking care of myself and then I thought this happens way too frequently to other people because I hear all about this. And of course, like suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people. And so it's not taboo. And it's, you know, mental health is a huge issue that so many people experience all the time. We just don't talk about it because, again, there's a stigma associated to it. And it's just hard because sometimes talking about mental health can be really scary and hard. And some people just are not willing to have that conversation. But we do. So we don't. More lies might end. And so, you know, the more people share their experiences with mental health and the more stories we hear on it, the more we're going to see a ripple effect where more people feel validated and they share their story. And it really can kind of create this cultural shift. It's not definitive, but that's what I see, though. And that's what you do with your magazine, right? I will quickly finish. I was going to finish with, you know, after, that's where I, after that whole thing, that's where I became a serious mental health advocate, mm. where I joined a lot of organizations and I wanted to create change. And this, I started the magazine, so it's called Positive Vibes Magazine, and it started from actually a class project in 2020. So we were basically at the beginning of the pandemic, and the final, the project, we were supposed to create our own publication, and I didn't know what I wanted to create. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, what am I seeing in the world that I, there's a gap that I want to change? And so I thought about mental health, and I said, I think that mental health 
is not talked about enough. It's only talked about in communities, but from a national perspective, it's not. And every time I hear about mental health on like the news, it's a lot of times it's about a shooting or violence or a suicide. And it's, it's always like these really extreme examples of mental health. And of course, they're very hard. And these are like, you know, hard things to see. And they need to be reported on, of course. But I don't like that the mainstream media can sometimes like take advantage of the mental health community and use it to justify violence or to say that they're violent because of mental health. They, I'll hear this. And I'm like, no, it's not correct. And and maybe someone did have a mental health condition, but they paint it as all these people are like this or all homeless people have mental health conditions. No. Um, and it's just really unfortunate. So I want mainstream media to have more of a healthy dialogue on mental health because I just... I do not see it as productive. And a lot of the stories we see, even like in horror movies, it's like very extreme examples of mental health. I want to see mental health where it's just people who are living normal lives, who are just trying to get by and they have mental health conditions. Like my, my biggest, my favorite show growing up was Degrassi. Um, it was definitely ahead of its time because it talked about mental health, but it just showed them as regular teenagers that are going through these things of mental health. And, you know, other issues they portray in that show, like LGBTQ and race and all these things. So I definitely saw some of it growing up, but not a lot. And I want to see more of that where mental health is just an acceptable thing that people understand and are, like I said, taking, making space for people to experience it and actually talk about it. Mm. And so, again, that's like, that's a lot what I was thinking of, but I really wanted to see a platform like that. So we kind of just start off with a small Instagram account, doing little postings here and there, and then. I learned how to build a website and then we started putting blog posts on there. And then, you know, one person reached out about being interviewed and it changed everything because I didn't know we would interview people. I didn't know what it was going to be. And so since then, we have just been featuring people from all over the world. We've featured over 80 people who have experience in so many different places. Someone who's in medical school who in medical school, they don't talk about mental health, especially how, you know, damaging your mental health can get especially in something like medical school how stressful it is or we'll talk to someone who has done angel healing someone who connects with angels to heal people or someone who is a medium who can connect with people who have passed on and support families to find closure we have very different experiences but like all these things are supporting people's mental health and they're you know creating such a great community of support for these people if that makes sense yeah so you share these stories they have a diverse range of experiences of both what they're going through and how they're seeking help or how they achieved help or just how bad it is and how real and gritty it is while going through a mental health challenge. And you share all of these stories so that we can basically achieve. These are human stories. Mental health equals normal life. These stories are normal regular human stories, which differs from how you've perceived things in the past, which is mental health generally is like a medical disorder and isn't the same as quote unquote normal life. So you want to shift it from this is not normal to this is utterly normal. These are human stories. These are things that people go through and here's a range of experiences. Yeah, I think it's like a holistic experience. I think that, you know, mental health and even disability, they are like, you know, medical diagnosable things, but there's so much more than that. And it's, it's something that needs to be explored, needs to be celebrated, like everything. Like some people even say like queer, it's like, oh, that's just sexual identity. Oh, that means a lot more than what you think. <laughs> mm. There's a, there's a history of it. 
there's a history of institutionalization. There's a history of shame. There's a history of murders. Like, there's so much mm. history and community that has come from that. I don't see it as just like a medical impediment. Like a lot of people think like, especially with disabilities, some people view it as, oh, that's a medical impediment needs to be cured. That mm. can be really toxic mm. Um, mm. because we, some people, their disabilities can't be cured. And actually some people with their disabilities don't want it to be cured. Some people do. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic. And it's really interesting having these conversations about mental health because some people will say it's just a medical thing that needs to be treated. And some people go, no, it's an experience that needs to be amplified. So I, I, it, there's definitely a mix there, but you know, I see that it is a medical thing, but we also need to treat it more than that and that it's a human experience and it's not something that should be shamed. It's something that should be celebrated and explored. So people can have the comfort of just sharing this experience with other people. Yeah. And when we connect and be really, really deeply, truly honest and open and vulnerable about our truth, mm-hmm. that in itself just has a connective healing yeah. factor, right? Like you said, so much yeah. change for you when you could see bisexuality plus you know, in the real world. So someone who's going through a lot could read a story or an experience of someone that was going through a lot, and it doesn't even have to be exactly the same, but it can be similar, and they can say, oh, I've been seen by this story, and that increases their sense of, I am someone, I do belong, I am normal, I've got all this stuff going on, and I'm normal, and I'm human, and my story is a story that perhaps other people would find important, touching, moving, connective, and get all the things from my story that I'm getting from this story. Yeah? Absolutely, and I mentioned before, like, you know, if you don't see these people on TV and portrayed accurately and positively, that like those stereotypes that you hold are going to like grow. And that can go for the person on the receiving end who actually identifies that way. If they don't see bi people on TV, they may feel more shame because they're not seeing themselves even more and they experience more shame from that. But if they do, it's a good learning opportunity for the person who doesn't know anything about bi people. Like, oh, wow, these are actually just people who are attracted to two genders or, um, you know, male and female. And then, then the person who's bisexual can go, wow. This is so I'm going through a catharsis. Yeah. Because I'm actually not alone. I felt I felt so alone and so isolated from everyone because I always thought I was just so different. But actually mm. it's not. Yep. Absolutely. You said um you wanted it to be framed positively, which made me think two things. Because we've talked about positive and negative, which we'll get to in a second. Yes. But just firstly, <laughs> did you mean like fairly and representationally? Because I think some people might have just heard you say, let's make it look good. Let's show it in a positive light. But did you mean, is that what you meant? Let's make all mental health and show it in a positive light. Is that what you meant? No, because because <laughs> I think that, you know, you're going to forget that mental health can be trauma. It can be PTSD. It can be very hard things. And it's not about the toxic positivity. When I mean when I say positively, I mean like giving people a fair chance to share their story. Cause I think yeah. sharing their story is positivity. Yeah. And again, going back to the positive vibes magazine, the term positive vibes, we're trying to retake it, reclaim it <laughs> that, you know, positive vibes. I know a lot of people go, Oh, positive vibes only like, Oh, have the best day. That's fine. But we but have to recognize really. that people are not having that. And that we have to recognize that. And we have to see that, the world is not like that for everyone. And yeah. some people it's, yeah. it's hard for them to see the light um, and have gone through very hard things. And for me, like you said, talking and seeing stories can be very, just very helpful for people. So what we say is 
don't ever ignore the negative thoughts. Like, don't ever ignore the negative energy. Like, if you're having these thoughts, don't ever ignore your emotions. You have to accept the bad. That's what I think real positivity is. I think of positivity as a philosophy that a lot of people assume positivity is like optimism or joy or happiness. No, I think it's very different. I think positivity is this mindset you have that, you know, hard things will happen, but you still have things going for you. That's how I, that's how I see, I see philosophy, philosophy. I see positivity as more of a philosophy and way of thinking as like just an emotion, like happiness. Right. It sounds like realness to me. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you could get someone who's like, yeah, I'm great today. Everything's great. I'm so good. How are you? And really, they're just being, they're just lying. But they're tr- what they're trying to do is help themselves by maintaining a positive mindset. And that has a good intention. But me and you might say, that's not really what we'd recommend to anybody. Don't be fake. Be real. Don't yeah. go around, be a victim and like whinge at everybody. But if you need a shoulder to lean on and everything's fucked, say so. Yes. If someone around you has the time and energy and capacity to help you with that, I'm sure that they will. It's realness, not positiveness. But if you're going to be real and you're going to have the intention of helping yourself, then you do need to be honest, but be careful of being a victim. And you need to be honest and it doesn't always feel good. And that is, and you're like trying to reclaim that space as the word positive. Just, just to wrap that up tidily. Do you know what I mean? Is it, that's kind of what you're saying, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Realness, positive, positive realness. Maybe that's what we'll call it. I don't know. Positive realness, but what I love is like, you know, if you're going to put on a facade that you're doing well and you're not, you'll never reach a positive mindset. Even if you have this thought, everything's going well. Yeah. To me, that's not real positivity again. Because like, again, the reason why it's like that, how I see it is you have to accept the negative and the th- bad things that have happened for you to reach this positivity. Like yes. This philosophy Accepting the negative it, immediately makes you positive mm-hmm. in that sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes like, even like the, even like accepting that sometimes this is my opinion that like, you know, the badness had to happen, you know, like sometimes so there's a reason for everything. I know that's going to be very triggering for some people. Cause like for some it's, that's not at all, but that's for me. It's like, even I experienced some really horrible stuff. Like, you know, in January of 2021, my mom passed away. Mm. and it was a very hard thing, and I feel like that was, mental health-wise, that was definitely really bad, and I try to tell myself that there's a reason, and it's hard, though, and what I what I think people forget about mental health is it's not linear. Just because you see a psychologist doesn't mean you're going to get completely better. It doesn't mean you're not going to have setbacks like everything, like any, like any, you know, medical, like any illness. There's, you might have setbacks, um, and so, you know, don't put so much pressure on yourself to just always have to be better. Or when someone says you're seeing a psychologist, you should be better now. It's not that simple to me. Mm. I think of mental health as an ongoing journey for the rest of your life. And so don't, I wouldn't put that pressure on yourself to always be doing better. Even like the term, like always be your best self, try to be your best self, but there's, it's impossible to do that. And it's okay. If you're, if you don't have energy one day, it's okay. If you don't have this motivation or you just don't want to do anything, you know, like give yourself, some grace, give yourself a break. I mean, some people forget that that's just so important. <sighs> the, um, the coach in me is screaming very quietly. <laughs> um, you know, I say that because, uh, disclaimer first, everybody's story is legit. 
Everybody is mm-hmm. welcome. We're all us. I don't have a problem mm-hmm. with anybody. But I do want to say the following. Some people have seen psychologists, literally psychologists. I was about to ask you if, you know, when you keep saying psychologists, do you include other helping professions? And personally, I'm, I'm going to say coaches and how do you feel about it? And that, that's always a worthy conversation. I think being skeptical mm. about people who are helping with mental health is extremely important. Um, yeah. but kind of life is mental health. Everything is mental health. So if you can, yeah. if you say yeah. psychologists are the only ones that can help with mental health, I'd say that that's not accurate. Um, no, but. Yeah. The second part is, um, well, and not but, I have worked with people directly, and this is anecdotal and just me, but some people have seen psychologists for many, many years and not really achieved the, the transformation and the change they were looking for. Those people have seen people that aren't psychologists and got exactly what they were looking for. Yeah. If your personal experience and anyone out there's experience is that they always want support and they always want a helper and they choose a psychologist, literally a psychologist always, then great. If that is what works for you, great. I support you. Please keep doing it. Um, but I kind of don't like that idea. I don't like to put out the idea, generally speaking, that a lot of people need ongoing multi-year, multi-decade support. I personally yeah. have mm-hmm. worked with people that have done many, many years of psychology and in three months they they don't they don't want a helper anymore, including me. Yeah. Like we'll probably yeah. remain friends. But they're like, I fucking turned a corner, I took the action, I made the change, I see things differently, mm-hmm. I do things differently. Um so I, I yeah. Thanks for letting me say that piece there. But I, I as me being me and doing what I do, I had to say that. And uh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for letting me take up space, I suppose. <laughs> no, of course. And when I say psychologists, I mean mental health practitioners. Mm. And like I said at the very beginning, one size does not fit all in this, in that someone can find a coach. Someone can work with someone. Like the angel healing person, right? I've never even heard of angel healing before. I hadn't either. It was a a really interesting interview to learn about what they do and how it supports. That's why I love sharing these stories because there's alternative approaches. And so I'm sorry if I made it sound like that because I definitely don't think that, you know, a psychologist is the only one that can support mental health. That's partly the part of the magazine why we share so many stories because they have so many ways of healing. There's so many ways of doing it. Yeah. And And if your angel healer doesn't work... If your angel healer doesn't work for you and doesn't give you what you want, go back to your psychologist, you know? Keep searching mm-hmm. and living and trying and doing you until mm-hmm. you get what you want. That That's what I would say. I'm not against any form, but I would just say to everybody, if you're being real with yourself, don't be hyper-positive. Mm-hmm. Do not delude yourself. Try not to fall into cults, but it still happens to people. Yeah. Be real with yourself. Be practical and- Seek out the help that you want for yourself. And if if you if you had high hopes your angel healing and it didn't work out, well, I'm sorry. But if you still need help, keep going. Search for another thing. And so I, I'm not I'm not kind of endorsing or disendorsing any form of help. Yeah. And thank you for what you said as well, because you are you are being inclusive about like different forms of help, and that's what I. Well, yeah, the fact that all of your stories in the magazine represent all that stuff mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. yeah beautiful and important to me. I think that's lovely. Yeah, because I, I know people that um, will will say that that mental health practitioner is the only ones that can support mental health, and 
I think they can support mental health in a certain way. Um, but again, all these different people who have these different roles can support mental health in all different aspects. And I think that, again, one size is not going to fit all. And like you said, for some people, psychology doesn't work or not psychology, but, you know, seeing a psychologist just didn't work for them. Mm. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's not the only it's not the only way you can support your mental health. There's so many other ways you yeah. can go. And do that. If you are a person that currently believes psychologists are the only appropriate form of mental health support and helper, you are making that true for yourself. And I don't have a problem with it. The thing is, you either will get the result that you want, brilliant, or you won't get the result that you want. Damn, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you didn't get the result that you want. But if you don't get the result you want and you continue to only allow yourself to consider one form of mental health support and help, you're doing that and you're creating an artificial limit in your own mind. And so, again, I'm, I'm very sensitive about endorsing or disendorsing any form of help. And as a coach, I don't go out there and say I love helping people with extreme depression. I don't say that at all, actually. Mm-hmm. Almost mm-hmm. none of my clients experience depression. But some do. Very happy to talk to them about it. But I guess, you know, for me, like I said before, all of life is mental health <laughs> and it's all different degrees. Yes. If you have chronic extreme situations – go see a standard doctor, medical professional mm-hmm. with years of accredited training first. Mm-hmm. If, if that feels mm-hmm. right to you, do it. If you yeah. don't get the result that you want, consider whether you will only see one form of helper um, at that point. And this is not an advert for me. I would just want to put that in into the universe. I don't necessarily want a flood of chronically mentally ill people. They're not actually great uh, candidates for coaching. You need to have a certain amount of stability but just not what you want in your life. But if you have a certain amount of anxiety or depression, great. If you're still functional, brilliant. Come on down. But if, you, if your situation is chronic, probably go see a mm-hmm. medical professional first. But if that doesn't work, sort your shit out. I want the best for you. Go find an angel healer. Go find whatever feels right for you and try it. Because if you place an artificial limit on yourself, you did that. And it just seems unfortunate. Yeah, you're definitely preventing yourself from getting help from other areas if you just think, you know, one one area is the only thing that can help you. And another thing is that, you know, you don't have to only stick with one thing at one at a time. Again, yeah. depending on where you are in your life and if yeah. you can afford other things. But if you want to see a psychologist and a coach and an angel healer, do it. I mean, mm-hmm. if you can and you have the time and you have the resources and you have the money, yeah. um, definitely, you know, you don't have to try one. It doesn't work then do another one. Like you definitely have multiple supports in your in your life that can help you. Speaking of resources and bang for buck help, do you have some key books that you would like the audience to know that have been tremendously important to you? Because books, you can get them free at a library. I should really highlight that. There's pretty much zero resources required for most people that are listening to this podcast to access either an audio book or a physical book from your local library, right? That's fair, right? So if that's true- Mm -hmm. What are the books? Do you have any particular books that you would love for people to check out? If they're like, I have no resources, I can't get help, I can't get better. Um, let's try and disprove that a little bit for them by offering them a free resource through a library and a book. So, I don't have a none, book in None. Mind. All right, let me do it. Let me do it. <laughs> Here's some amazing books in no particular order that I absolutely love. Um, the Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. The Courage to Be disliked 
<laughs> I just finished Lost Connections by Johan Hari, which is about depression and tangentially about anxiety. The Velvet Rage, massively important reading for gay men, and I would say queer people generally. I had recommended to me, it wasn't my favorite, but William White Cloud's Secrets of Natural Success, 4,000 Weeks, The Sunny Nihilist. Um, there's so many. I could just go through my entire Audible, but there's so many. Uh, and, and different ones hit different for different people. A generic coachy one is um, Unfuck Yourself by Gary John Bishop. I suppose it's a bit lesser known. Uh, if you're a people pleaser, no more Mr. Nice Guy. There are tons, tons of really powerful bits of content on Instagram for free, you know, my page, your magazine, libraries. It's a commonly said thing that you've got to have resources to be healthy, but I'm sensitive. I'm sensitive to that because you can get shit tons done with almost no resources. And I just mm -hmm. question at what point are we just digging a hole for ourselves and being content in a hole and saying, well, the fences are too high. I'm not always certain that they're as high as you think they are. Mm. Yeah. You can see I'm passionate about what I do. Thank you for listening. No, I love it. <laughs> I may not have specific books in mind, <laughs> yeah. but you know, there's so many, there's so many, yeah, there's so many free blogs and resources out there like i love the power of positivity i love that's you know a great website mm -hmm. i love so many different podcasts like seek mm -hmm. the joy podcast mm -hmm. coming from the heart bipolar bachelor and these are people i've worked with so it's not just i've listened to them but like i've actually worked with these people and i love their messaging and also like thrive global is great too it's all about workplace wellness especially since the workplace can be a very stressful place that can definitely dampen your mental health so ways to make the workplace better and so there's so many free platforms and there's just hundreds and hundreds and thousands and millions of people who are starting you know podcasts and they're starting you know publications that are writing blogs and i love that i love that information is more available than you don't just have to get information from a book you can only be published and your perspective can be from a book yeah you know people can start things now and they can get resources and all these different areas from these people's lived experiences. I just love that. Yeah. There's a YouTube channel that only gets about uh, four or 5,000 hits on most of her videos. Um, she's <laughs> actually freaking awesome. I think it's Jamie Fox with two X's. I've only seen three or four, so I can't fully endorse her, but that's free. And basically she dived into a bunch of psychology and self-help related um, books and studies and sorted her own shit out. And now she helps other people do it too. And it's, that is just so magical. So there you go. Go check her out. I want to let you know, um, I'm going to write all of these down that we've said and then put them in the Instagram comment section. Might not go in the show notes because they're limited. Um, but check out the Instagram post related to this episode and I'll certainly list everything that me and Zane have just mentioned. Yay, thank you. Yeah. All righty. So, I think I'll skip the shame section that I usually do, which is my special topic and your personal shame, because I think you shared a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and let's skip forward to the zany questions. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm um, changing my system all the time, but I'm going to go back to the originals because I actually like them a little bit more. Do you like coffee? No. <laughs> do you like anal sex? No. <laughs> Uh-huh. Centaurs or mermaids? Oh, mermaids. That's, oh my goodness. <laughs> Sexually? Oh. 
I mean, Little Mermaid. I'm not talking about Little Mermaid. I'm talking about what was her dad's name? I don't even. Oh, remember. was his name King Trident? King Trident. Oh, the live action mermaid. How he's gonna look? Is oh, he man. a super hot daddy for you? <laughs> Depending on what the live action would look like, but yeah, he oh. could be. His beard's a little too big, but <laughs> ah. uh, he definitely has a a nice body. But you know, I, I I'm just gonna say this. I loved. There's a show I watched as a kid called H2O, Just uh-huh. That Water. Uh-huh. It was about three teenage girls. It was a pretty awkward show. It was a Nickelodeon show, but these girls were mermaids, and I love mermaids. I don't know. I just I've always loved it from the show, and Aww. just the underworld, the underwater world is so interesting. Nice. Do you read fan fictions or get like geek out on it pretty hard? No, but I should. Yeah, you they should. <laughs> you should. I'm sure. I'm sure there are mermaid fanatics out there just like you, and oh, you yeah. can have all the beautiful big trident daddies you want. In, uh, in fantasy. I love that. Ha- have fun. I'm just going to imagine how much fun that you're going to have doing that. <laughs> oh, wow. That's funny. Uh, nice. Um, so, what shoes are you wearing? Currently? Yeah. I'm not wearing shoes. Nobody wears shoes while podcasting with me. <laughs> no, because they usually do it in their house or their bedroom or right. something. <laughs> right. Okay. Pop music or another genre? another genre i feel like this is a weird genre i don't think it exists but i'm gonna say it does video game music and like video game slash movie scores are my favorite oh absolutely that's a genre i could listen to like harry potter music all day Uh the rest of my life yeah oh my gosh and then i don't know if you ever heard the game kingdom hearts oh yeah of course i have yeah yeah kingdom hearts music is so i listen to it every day it's too good it's my favorite Kingdom Hearts genre music, I know is not a thing, but it should be. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of nerds out there whose hearts are melting um, right now, and they feel the same way you do. I'm aware of them, but I'm just not in the crew. What's your usual McDonald's order? Oh, I usually just get a boring, like, large fry and then, like, the chicken nuggets, and that's it. <laughs> all right, don't judge yourself. You love what you love. It's all right. So, large <coughs> chips and chicken nuggets? Yes. Which sauce? Ooh, I've drawn to ranch and like honey mustard oh we can't get ranch in australia i'm not even sure that we can get honey mustard really? yeah the sauce has changed that's, that's actually a that someone should start a podcast um what's the word you know like sexual dimorphism is the difference between genders in different creatures um mcdonald's morphism should be the study of like different mcdonald's offerings per uh, country and location because they are very different. I'm sure. I'm sure that there is heaps of content out there about this, but like that's pretty fascinating to me. Which is, or just in general, all fast food. <laughs> but I think McDonald's is like the truly, truly global offering that does differ significantly by region. I think KFC oh, as that's well. True then, but that know, is true, right? There's so many American fast foods we actually don't get here. We don't. We don't get the alternative to Subway. What's it called? I don't know. We have like five Starbucks, like five Taco Bells. You have to hunt (laughs) them out. There's no White Castle. There's no like, there's so many American fast food things that there's no Chick-fil-A. There's no, like lots of ones I hear about. We just don't have. So anyway, (laughs) fast food morphism, someone come on the show and talk about it (laughs) and how it's your sexual fetish and how that makes you queer. And so you're invited. (laughs) No straight people get out. Um, Is there a gayest thing or a most bisexualist thing about you? Uh, Liking Kingdom Hearts? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, maybe that's a bi thing. Maybe it is. For some reason, Kingdom Hearts has a really strong queer following. I don't know why Kingdom Hearts does it. It doesn't actually have any queer characters. I never understood why it it does. I think because, like, maybe, like, Sora and Riku, like, the main characters are so close. Mm-hmm. 
but like they're not together. But I think that there's like this feeling that you want them to be because they're so close, but like I actually like the idea of two guys just being very close and nothing sexual. Like they can just be very good friends. Yeah, it sounds like Yaoi, which is like um gay anime youths falling in love, but it's not like hardcore. It's usually by girls for girls, but also a lot of sweet sensitive souls, perhaps yourself included Zane, um are into that. But I'd say Disney plus anime equals very nerdy, very sweet, sweet, sensitive soul kind of stuff, generally speaking. Um, but the gays yeah, and the queers yeah. and the nerds and the losers of the world, we all love escapism because it's not the real world. And Kingdom Hearts offers a lot of that. So maybe that's why it seems to be a queer thing. Yeah, maybe. I mean, but Kingdom Hearts is real, so. <laughs> <laughs> is there a straightest thing about you? Um, oh, that's, that's such an interesting question. Straightest thing about me. Oh, you know what? If you go back, this is such a stereotype, but like, I don't like sports at all. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's the that's the bisexualist thing about you. I mean, that's that's definitely like a stereotype. But for me, like, <laughs> I can watch sports, but I'm like, I'm like not intrigued. Like, I'll be like, I'll be boring. I'll be like, look at number eleven. Look how they look. And my partner will be like, and nobody's like, you're not watching. Like, oh, I'm watching number eleven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. I know what you're that's, saying. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So, is but there the, a straightest thing about you? Yeah, oh geez. Um my goodness. Strangest thing about me. Like I really jeez, I don't know. Do you tuck your shirt into your pants? Oh no, I hate that. Okay. <laughs> no, maybe there's nothing. It is a question about stereotypes, but yeah, all good. Um if well, I, I guess there's no, yeah. no straight about me at all. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Or maybe everything about you is is straight, but you don't think so. But what is the what is straight? Mm. Who knows? Now we're getting deep. Um, if I identified as an omnisexual uni being, would you accept me? Omni being, interesting. Uni being, omnisexual uni being. Here's my thing: if you are a good person and you're a decent person, yeah. I do not care how you identify, as long as you're being a good person to yourself. And others. what's a good person? Good person, someone who is respectful to others, like creates space, understands them. You know, can. Maybe not necessarily be like an empath, but like try your best to have empathy and understand where someone's coming from. That's how I see it as a good person. Okay. Yeah, it seems like a very um, mental health focused mindset on what good yeah. is, but yep, fair enough. <laughs> I think you got the point across. Red apples or green? Red, like the Fuji ones. They're called Fiji, the best. Yeah, nice. Oh, the little waxy red ones? Yeah. The Fijis? Yeah, I know them. Um, Cool. Do you gamble? No, my partner and I went to. Las Vegas like a month ago and I gambled and won like 10 cents and I spent like five dollars <laughs> <Ten cents, laughs> so not really <laughs> oh well at least you got to play all right cereal toast or none oh toast toast with Vegemite mm -hmm. come on Vegemite surely surely you love yeah Vegemite. yeah <laughs> yep okay great <laughs> who's sexier Bigfoot or a male Tinkerbell Bigfoot what the heck <laughs> always Bigfoot Bigfoot big daddy Bigfoot all right. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> what car do you drive, if any? Uh, a Scion XB. A Scion XB. But I, as I told before this interview, I did a you know an internship at General Motors, and I would love to get a Hummer. I drove an EV Hummer through the internship, and it was so fun. I would love that car. Oh, the EV Hummer. 
Yeah. All right, cool. I was about to give you a ton of shit about being an environmental vandal, but if you get the EV version, then great. As long <laughs> as it's refueled by renewable sources, then fuck yeah. Let's get electric mega robots and uh, make battle in the <laughs> oceans like with renewable oh, energy, yeah. please. <laughs> Carbon footprints. <laughs> um, how many pairs of underwear do you own? Oh, God, probably like four or five. <laughs> oh, that's pretty straight, I guess. Like you don't okay, yeah, you barely you have any underwear. <laughs> Oh, cool. All right. Have you ever done drugs? No, never. None, ever? Nope. Is Kingdom Hearts a drug? Yeah, it's a natural high, I guess. <laughs> I just never, I don't know. Like, there were times where I wanted to, like, try an edible, but I just never did. Okay. Um, and, like, I know people that have done drugs, and I don't know. I never saw the appeal. I don't, I don't even really, I don't drink alcohol either. Yeah. I hate the taste. Right. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Is there anything else you wish to tell us about your underwear? Uh, they're usually ripped up because I stretch them a lot, so they're ripped up a lot. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I, I know. <laughs> Are they very plain? Do you just get like four or five from the supermarket or whatever? Yeah, they're like the gray or black kind. It's like boring. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the least gay thing I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> what happens when we die? Oh, that's beautiful. You know, I saw something in documentary on near-death experiences, and people have these like this sensation of, such peace. Mm. I think that you experience that and your body is telling you it's time to move on. And mm. I think that you go to a paradise that's your own. Wow. And if that means you can see people that have moved on, like mm. your family, but I don't buy into the idea that heaven is what it's said to be. Like it's this place with pillars and people are angels. I think that whatever your heaven is, that's where you're going to go. Wow. If you, if you like love, like maybe like a pond or like maybe the happiest place you've ever been on earth, that's where I think you're going to be. That's Aww. what I think. That the way you express that opinion makes me feel again, when you say the power of positivity or you like positivity, I feel like you just demonstrated it. The idea that you hold the idea that everybody goes to the place that they love the most when they die just seems like this outrageously positive thing. But in a sense, mm -hmm. the way you delivered it and I and we got to hear it, it was like, oh, that's just fucking delightful. Like, it's nice to think things like that. Maybe that's very helpful for people. And what's interesting is it could be your favorite place, but it could, it could also bring some sadness, though. Oh, yeah. It has all the emotions. It's the most peaceful place. That's that's probably better. Like in the positive vibes, peaceful vibes. Like you're really trying to find peace within yourself. You mean like my life? Got him. No, just yeah. joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, at the same time, I get this existential crisis about like it doesn't matter how peaceful or lovely it is. If it's for eternity, it's it's hell. No. Like our oh, our I mean, current forms of consciousness and how we like do things, if anything was eternal, it would be fucked eventually. Yeah, and that's why I think that hopefully. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's an aspiration. Yeah, <laughs> it's an aspiration, and like I said, if you're somewhere eternally, it may not be great, but mm. maybe you can move. Maybe you can actually change. Yeah, maybe where it you go. Yeah. So you're on this because yeah, being in the same place all the time would be horrible. <laughs> yeah, and then it comes back for me. I you know, I don't I don't I'm not a religious or I mean I'm kind of spiritual but not really. Um, and then it comes to like the rebirth idea. So if it has to change because eternity, mm. perhaps reincarnation is the best option. Perhaps that's the most realist thing possible. Or just nothing, yeah. and we don't even know there's nothing. Like the whole we don't worry about what happened before we were born thing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, just like the feeling when you're asleep. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. And yeah. that's how it is. Who knows? Mm. We will never see it until we reach that moment. Yeah, the next adventure. Yeah. I got too much life to live, and then I'll look forward to that adventure, but not yet. Uh, do you love me? I love you. I love this interview. <laughs> oh, all right. I'll take that. That's a half win, I guess. No, that's that's not the – I mean, we just met, but I oh, love your Oh, too soon, so too soon. Oh, so far. <laughs> okay, well, that's nice. <laughs> Thank you, Zane. Thank you. Thank you very much. For what it's worth, I love you. I love everybody. Not romantically, not sexually necessarily but i definitely have love in my heart for everybody oh okay that's what i meant see that's like i was thinking love like romantically no yes no as people but you're like bisexual right so you've immediately fallen in love with me and we're gonna fuck later because we can right oh absolutely i mean yeah i can't wait it'll be hard to do you're in australia if you can like fly here by tomorrow make it happen Awesome. Thank you very much, Zane. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you for being you and sharing yourself and your life and your story. Well, again, thank you for doing this and allowing me to do this because without you you being able to do this, I wouldn't be able to. So thank you. Much appreciated. Hey, uh, Zane, where can people find you and your magazine and everything you're all about? You can find me on my personal accounts, Zane Landon. That's you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and definitely send me a message if you're interested in learning more about me or whatever. And then the magazine, it's positivevibesmag.com. And then our handles are positivevibesmag. And definitely check us out. If you want to share your story, we're always willing to share people's journeys and experiences with mental health and their other intersectional identities. So please reach out. And that was another delicious episode of Gaberhood. If you want to follow us on social media, Instagram, we are at Gaberhood Podcast. You could please share with a friend, uh, let your mum know. I think your mum's really going to love the show. You can, if you really, really love us um, and want to support projects like these, please go to patreon.com forward slash Gaberhood Podcast. $5 a month um, amongst a whole ton of people would be super super awesome and would make the podcast even more joyful to produce um i do have a few patreons so thank you very very much to those people it is much appreciated uh you can always email your feedback comments and queries to edward at gaberhoodpodcast.com and for now that is it stay healthy stay well and we will see you next time goodbye
Yay. Well, thank you again. This was super fun. Yeah. Do you enjoy it? Bit silly, bit stupid, bit deep, bit real, bit. I, all of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is, isn't it? it? It's a lot. It is. No, in a good way because, like, you know, a lot of podcasts I go on, it's just, we're talking about the topics and that's kind of it, you know? Um, but this was fun to explore stuff I don't really talk about or ever shared my morbid curiosity of mermaids. <laughs> yes. And Kingdom Hearts and uh, being ashamed of your own Mac is order. I never really get to mention that stuff, but it's it's so important. It's just since I've been playing Kingdom Hearts since I was about four. Yeah. So games yeah. will never, ever leave me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very similar. I like the idea that I let people's humanity expand while being on the podcast. Which, if you say that before the podcast, sounds fucking alarming. But if you say it after the podcast, it's like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. 